1: Hello there, and welcome to another episode of In the Break Room with Bill. We're here today to talk about the latest opinion letter under the FMLA that was issued on February 9th, just last week. And it it was kind of an interesting opinion letter. It talks about employee scheduling and, and how the FMLA applies in employee scheduling. And joining me today is my colleague, Chris Casino. Chris does a lot of work under the Fair Labor Standards Act and the Family Medical Leave Act. And and Chris and I were talking about this and thought, man, we should probably have a little conversation with it on the podcast because we think clients would be interested in uh, in this opinion as well. And not only how it plays under the FMLA and, and how employers have to respond under the FMLA, but how does it also interact with the ADA? So Chris, good to have you here today in the break room. Glad I had a chance to catch you. I know you're really busy but uh, thought this was an interesting topic. What do you think?
0: Absolutely, Bill. Uh, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I absolutely agree with you. This is a certainly a very interesting topic. Uh, employers are all the time being faced with kind of cutting edge questions under the FMLA as people assert uh, their their right to take time off more and more frequently, and so to have more clarity coming out of the Department of Labor is certainly going to be helpful for those employers.
1: Yeah, and, and and I agree. And and so the background of this particular question is the inquiry was whether an employee can use their fmla leave to limit their work schedule for an indefinite period of time and and of course the employee would have to suffer from a chronic serious health condition provided that uh, you get all of the certifications in place and someone qualifies under the fmla but the answer to this you know the, the employer who wrote the question to the fmla of course that's anonymous for for obvious reasons but the employer who wrote the question said, "Look, isn't this more appropriate for an issue if an employee wants to reduce their schedule because they have some type of condition? Isn't this more appropriate for the ADA as a reasonable accommodation and engage in the interactive process than it is for the FMLA?" And and the uh, the Department of Labor came back and said, "Well, no, it is an issue for the FMLA." And the question, as presented, the response was. Yes, the employee can limit their work schedule on an intermittent leave basis. But the the surprising thing and the unfortunate thing I think that makes it a difficult burden for employers is the employee can do that in perpetuity. So if the employee works 40 hours a week and wants and and says, look, I need five hours a week less time for whatever that serious health condition is, provided that you have the, the doctor certification. Well, if it's only five hours a week, right, for 52 weeks, you're never going to get to that 480-hour FMLA 12-week entitlement, and you could do that forever, right? And, and, and then there's another example that says even if the employee works 50 hours a week, now that becomes their regular schedule. And the FMLA says, well, wait, you're entitled to 12 weeks of your regular schedule. It's not just 480 hours, but if you work a 50-hour work week, it's 600 hours. And so if you took that 10 hours off, every week as intermittent leave right you only get to 520 hours leaving 80 hours of fmla leave so you roll into it every single year into that same amount and you can now work a 40-hour work week for the rest of the time that that you're with your employer provided that the employer qualifies for fmla and you qualify as an individual for fmla so I, i just thought wow that's i mean that really is kind of significant for employers who are trying to fill schedules In this particular case, the employer said, look, I've got three shifts working a particular amount every day, and we've got several employees who have to reduce their schedules under the FMLA, and we're really having trouble with this. So I don't know. What are your thoughts about that?
0: Yeah, a few things. Um, First of all, uh, it's sort of not surprising in a way that this letter was written because one thing that I'm sure you've encountered and I certainly encounter with employers uh, all the time is that they are often frustrated by the fact that they have to comply with two very similar yet very different statutes in the ADA and FMLA. And so one mistake that people will make is they'll think, well, I'm complying under the FMLA and they ignore the ADA and then they can get end up with a lawsuit uh, on the short end of a lawsuit of an ADA lawsuit because yeah they were complying with the FMLA but not the ADA. And so this letter is certainly a reminder of that tension that employers are are going to face all the time. And you know the letter emphasizes look these two statutes provide different things and they they certainly do provide for different things. But what's going to be important is going to be what gives the employee the most protection. And so that's what happened in this particular case is the the uh, Department of Labor emphasized that it's going to be whatever gives the employee the most protection. And then, you know, really, it, it sort of was interesting in that it, in a way, removes a distinction that has often existed between the ADA and FMLA in that the FMLA, you know, is limited, right? It, it offers for 12 weeks of leave a year. The ADA is not limited in a, by a specific amount. Uh, and... But, but this opinion letter says, look, if, it's a lim- if, if the leave is limited in time uh, for to, say, a few hours a day, uh, you're, like you mentioned, you're never going to hit that maximum. And so this could be sort of eternal sort of accommodation that you have to give uh, pursuant to the FMLA when, when usually that sort of thing would be under the ADA. So I thought it was very interesting in that, that way as well.
1: And to me, that's really interesting, right? Because, OK, so say you have that 50-hour work week that we talked about. And your doctor has said to you, because you suffer from a serious health condition, for whatever reason, whether it's a mental health condition or a a physical health condition, whatever that is, you have to take you have to have a 40 hour work week. And now you've asked for the intermittent leave. It's been granted, of course. And now you're only working 40 hours a week and you're using 520 hours of FMLA time of the 600 that you have available every year. But then what if you have an accident or something else that would uh, – some other condition that would qualify you as disabled, as an individual with a disability under the ADA, and now you use the rest of your FMLA leave, but you need additional leave on top of that incremental FMLA that you're using, right, to go out on ADA? Well, it, it's, it's really kind of twofold what happens here, right? It's, it's, it's contingency that you never really thought about. But once your FMLA expires, according to this opinion letter, and they buried it down toward the end when people get really tired and don't want to read anymore, um, but they said, yeah, okay, well, if your FMLA expires midterm, you don't get that intermittent leave anymore, right? That, that FMLA leave drops out, but then does the ADA kick in is the question. And There has been questions, and there's questions in the courts whether intermittent leave actually applies under the ADA, right, as a reasonable accommodation. And most courts, I think, answer that to some extent, right? So in the 11th Circuit, you can take leave under the ADA, whether that's intermittent or just, uh, you know, a normal employee leave without working at all, but it has to be definite in duration and reasonable in time. So you have that two-prong approach. Most jurisdictions do apply the ADA in the same way, and most jurisdictions do have sort of that reasonableness standard when applying it other than California, where it's, you know, basically you can take a year off um, and still be able to, to be job protected to, to be able to come back to work. But we won't talk about that for now. And so it's interesting the permutations that could apply to this, but you're absolutely right. What they say at least twice during uh, during the discussion of this five-page opinion letter is, we are going to review both the FMLA and the ADA, which the ADA, of course, is under the purview of the EEOC, so the Department of Labor wouldn't necessarily opine on it. But we're going to review these in the light most favorable to the protection of the employee. And so you're really stacking these potential leave issues. And it does make, especially if you're in an environment that's a, a very regimented, scheduled environment, I think of a manufacturing environment under those terms, it makes it really tough to schedule things.
0: Absolutely. And one of the, the things that I'm interested in seeing as a result of this is whether people use this sort of leave, right? And like you mentioned, then they run out and the ADA kicks in and then they use as evidence for the fact that they can perform their job duties uh, with this reduced schedule. The fact that, look, I've been doing it for two years and my productivity is is great despite the fact I'm taking off this much time. And then using that as evidence. So I I, I will be interested to see whether whether that happens and how courts rule when when those cases come up. And then in terms of, you know, scheduling, it certainly can be difficult, especially with employers like, for example, in manufacturing where they have, you know, very specific shifts for people to work. One of the advantages employers do have in this situation is that they they can request that the time off is taken at, at a time and that is least burdensome to the employer. And assuming they can get a doctor to sign off on that, you know that might be one way to deal with that problem is to put it on a uh, you know to ask them to take the leave at a particular time that it will will interrupt the least and um, you know if they can get the sign up of the physician that would be that would be great uh, of course if you don't you still have to give them the leave and you know and, and it'll interrupt operations but it's a method that is available to employers
1: and you're absolutely right that's an interesting point employers can ask employees to schedule things in a way that that would be both beneficial to the employee and the employer. But I want to go back to that comment that you mentioned earlier about someone who, who then says or uses evidence in some type of case, and let's assume that it's an ADA denial case, right, that they have now proven over a period of time that that 50 hour work week isn't even necessary or an essential function of the job because they've gotten all of their their stuff done all of their deliverables met in 40 hours a week and so now if you come into the idea of okay I'm done with FMLA leave. I've lost my FMLA leave for the rest of the year for whatever reason. Some unforeseen circumstance has required me to take more FMLA than I was entitled to. So now I'm asking for a reasonable accommodation under the ADA, and I still want that 40-hour work week, even though I, I technically don't qualify for the intermittent leave under the FMLA anymore. But let me tell you this, employer, you are going, if you deny my reasonable accommodation, I'm going to come back and show you the evidence that I've been working for six eight, 10, 26 months right and gotten all my all of my deliverables done and this job really is at least for me and other employees a potential 40 hour a workweek job and I don't need that extra 10 hours to to meet my quota so I mean, yeah, what do you think about that if, if an employer then comes back and says, not a reasonable accommodation, we need you here, everybody else is working 50 hours a week, we need you 50 hours a week, we're not going to give you that particular accommodation of a reduced schedule, even though we've been doing it for 26 weeks, and you've been getting your job done.
0: Yeah, well, I think in a way, employers can use this as an opportunity. And and the reason I, I say that is because let's say that is the situation, right, that this person is able to get all of uh his or her work done within 40 hours. Maybe the, you know, I, I know employers are looking increasingly at reduced workload schedules. You know, some employers, for example, not many, but a few have switched for to 32-hour, four-day work week, for example. And it, you know, maybe that maybe something like this can show that look, we can get this work done in 40 hours a, a week. And so uh, reduce everybody's, you know, it might be an opportunity to reduce everybody's schedule uh, and save, you know, that extra 10 hours a week in pay, for example. But on the, so maybe look at it as an opportunity to, to change how, how things are done. Um, but in terms of, you know, let's say that's not the case. Most people can't get the job done in, in that amount of time. And this person's just really Really good at it. Uh, It will be, you know, frankly, it will just be interesting to see how the courts come out because I could see it coming either way. You know, I I know that for a time, for example, under the ADA, there was this position courts were taking that being present at work was a very just basic job duty requirement. But now with the pandemic, you know, people are realizing that maybe it's not. And so back before the pandemic, courts were saying, look, we're not going to like punish employers for. Giving their employees the the option to work from home, from home, certain employees but not give it to others, because that would disincentivize employers from you know being good to their employees in that regard. Uh, we could see courts taking that position in this you know if this case comes out, but I could also see them taking the opposite position. So I'm I'm definitely genuinely interested in how
1: it comes out. The other uh, consideration, right, is undue hardship. There is no undue hardship exemption or analysis. Under the FMLA, if they, you know, if someone is qualifies for FMLA leave and they qualify uh, by certification of the healthcare provider, then they get it right. Uh, You know, whatever it happens to be. But in the with the ADA, you have an undue hardship analysis and that comes into play. So I want to talk about just a little bit of, of how the ADA has sort of supplemented FMLA leave, especially in recent years. But in, in, I believe, still all of the, but one jurisdiction, courts will say leave is a, a an accommodation, an available accommodation under the ADA. So you have someone who has taken this, say, let's go with the 50-hour issue again. They've taken 10 hours a week for, um, you know, 50 weeks, right? And they've used 500 hours. And now they have only 100 hours left. And, and there's, you know, some issues, somebody... Uh, get, Gets uh, the health condition becomes worse, more debilitating. Someone needs more time off uh, and actually, you know, like uh, 30 days or 60 days off, right, which they obviously don't have left under the FMLA. And then the the ADA comes into place, right? You can give leave and, and most courts will require you to give leave as an entitlement, even though you've used up all of your FMLA leave. And and that's where it really, I think, becomes most difficult for employers. It used to be that employers that didn't use that rolling calendar method, they either used a calendar year method or a date-to-date method of uh, accrual under the FMLA. You you found somebody, say, using the beginning of the year, somebody leaving out in October, and they took October, November, December, and then they rolled into 12 more months of or 12 more weeks of FMLA and took January, February, March off. And, and so then we started using the rolling calendar method pretty consistently across the country to, to avoid that. You know, now and, and in the past number of years, right, you've been able to use ADA and stack it up on top of that and and so you do have a, a an undue hardship analysis but again that's a it's not like the religious accommodation undue hardship analysis which is a fairly a much lower burden to uh, to accomplish under that analysis but under the ADA it's a very you know it's a pretty stringent analysis for undue hardship and and so now you may have someone who's not only working that reduced schedule but again, provided they get the proper certification from their doctor, medical certification that they need to be out for a period of time, so long as that period of time is definite in duration and reasonable, they can take another two months or three months off. And it really does increase the burdens on these employers, especially at a time when it's really difficult not only to attract, but to retain top talent.
0: It's absolutely difficult. So I guess the question facing employers is going to be when they, you know, when when these things do happen, what do you do about it? But you know, one one sort of method that that you can use is to make sure that you're getting the the proper paperwork from the doctors under both the ADA and FMLA, and you know, especially one one thing that you you see in these sorts of situations uh, is very vague paperwork where where the physician is saying. You know, I don't know when this person's going to be cured, uh, or if they ever will be cured, and I don't know how long this leave is going to be necessary for. And you know, you can use those s- sorts of documents to to limit the leaves under both the ADA and FMLA, uh, because you know, even even though the ADA doesn't have a time limit per se, like the FMLA, indefinite leave is not a reasonable accommodation. So, you know, use that FMLA paperwork, for example, if it does say we don't know when this is going to end to to uh, Address the ADA if if you think if you it would be a burden on your business to keep people employed with these leave schedules,
1: right? And and of course we're again we're avoiding California for right now because yes. who knows whether indefinite leave is is reasonable in California. But you know you you bring up a good point, right? And and so often and tell me if you disagree. I get asked the question by clients because the FMLA is so stringent and so regulated, you know, dozens and dozens and hundreds and thousands of pages of regulations under the FMLA. So you have a most of your I's and are dotted and your T's are crossed because you know exactly what the paperwork is. You use uh, I always recommend use the government paperwork, right? Use the certification form on the Department of Labor website, use the forms on the Department of Labor website because then the government can't come back and say your forms are wrong because, hey, there are forms, so they must be right. But people ask me, Bill, what about the ADA? There's, There's no particular format for the certification forms or anything like that or the timing of when the certification reforms are required under the ADA for these medical certifications. And and I generally respond to those employers, use the same timing that's provided under the FMLA. So you have two things, right? You have a, a consistency of process with everyone. So you're treating everyone the same. And number two, the government says in a medical certification situation, this is cool, right? By what it says under the FMLA, therefore it's gotta be cool, under the ADA. Do you disagree with
0: that? Uh, No, I agree 100%. uh, And I will say that I have successfully used in cases FMLA paperwork to defend ADA lawsuits because... You know, doctors will put things down in the FMLA paperwork that will eliminate the need to provide ADA, and I've successfully used that. So I agree 100%. Play it safe. Use the government-approved forms and, and timing, uh, not only because it'll be for consistency's sake, like you said, but also because you won't run into trouble with asking for things that you shouldn't be asking for and uh, running, into, running afoul of the ADA in other ways.
1: Again, if if we extend that, right, a lot of folks, a lot of employers use a a TPA, a third party administrator to administer their FMLA leave. Well, then we want to make sure that if we're using that same TPA to administer ADA leave or all of our leaves, that they, they work under the same paradigm, right? That they're using the same kind of paperwork with the same timing because and and so, sort of at the end, I want to wrap up with these cautionary tales where no good deed goes unpunished in our world. We People come back and say, oh, I couldn't get to my doctor or I, can't, I got to my doctor, but they wanted to see me again next week. And if we're not holding people accountable, like we do, like we have to under the FMLA, right? The FMLA says we have to, to, meet our burden in in getting out the notification and the certification paperwork but if we're not uh, um, approving or denying fmla leave within the time period that's required under the regulations then you're waiving your right to deny that fmla leave and we have to do the same thing for for the ada leave and so many times i hear oh gosh we gave susie Every benefit benefit of the doubt, she had to go out, you know, uh, it's shocking, right? Nobody has that pre-notice, right, to schedule FMLA leave, even though that's the way it's supposed to work. It's always unexpected and they unexpectedly take it. And then a month later, someone says, hey, wait a minute, we don't have Susie's paperwork on certification and we haven't approved or denied her leave under the ADA. And the question becomes, well, gosh, we've been a nice employer and, and we've waited for Susie to get that back, but now can we deny it? And the answer is generally no, because we're not a following our process within that period of time that we've provided. And we know it's a, a reasonable period because it's what's provided under the FMLA. And now we're losing our, our the benefit of our opportunity to say no, and, and we don't want to waive our rights under either the FMLA or the ADA. So we have to kind of be careful with that That good deed doing. We want to do right by our employers. There, there, there's no question we want to do right by our employees. But we also have to to make sure that we have those mechanisms and safeguards in place to make sure that we're following the time limitations so that we don't waver our, our, our obligations.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, and I certainly have run into situations where employers have – for example, granted FMLA that wasn't available uh, to employees um, and then later lived to regret that when they got sued for not granting somebody else the same thing or or they realized that they mistakenly granted it and remo- revoked it. So that certainly, uh, I certainly agree with those comments. The other thing I just wanted to add as we uh, wrap up here is a couple of other options that are available to employers who might end up in a situation where somebody does request uh, several hours of leave a day or a week and this could uh, under the FMLA and it goes on forever. you know, One of the things you can do as an employer is every 30 days ask for a recertification that the leave is still necessary. So I would definitely keep that in mind. And then the other thing is you can always, for truly suspicious leave requests, for example, a request for every Friday afternoon off or every Monday morning and Friday afternoon off or something, you can also ask for a second opinion and these requests are truly suspicious. so you know, keep those options in mind as you address these.
1: And I agree with you completely. That make that makes perfect sense. We wanna we not only want to approach things from a, a legal standpoint, right, to make sure that we're complying with the law, but we also want to think about things practically and pragmatically and, and how they affect the workforce. And so, so I think the you know in wrapping in wrapping this up, it, the basic message of this particular uh, opinion letter is hey, employees can at times dictate their own schedules. And you would think, dude, I'm the employer and I know what I need. And I have to have you here at these times. And that's not what I signed up for. But under the FMLA, unfortunately, you may end up with a variation of what you didn't sign up for. And and you have to live with it or be able to sort of make other changes in your schedule with other personnel who aren't required to have FMLA or ADA leave in order to make things work. But remember, you've got that that very stringent job restoration benefit under the FMLA, which means you know you've got to be put back if if you go out, you got to be put back in the same job or maintain that same job while you're taking FMLA intermittent leave. ADA a little bit more flexible with that, but you know, there's always that potential retaliation claim down the road. So if you do have an employee that uh, that insists on um, having a particular work schedule because of a serious health condition that's certified by a physician, understand that you're going to have to comply with that for as long as that employee is eligible for FMLA leave. And you may have to look for, you know, outside of the box for answers on how to accommodate that leave. With other scheduling issues.
0: Yeah, and I was just gonna, that that actually reminds me of one other uh, option available to employers, uh, which is um, you can, uh, while the person is on FMLA leave, you can transfer them temporarily to another position as long as it has the same pay and it isn't shown to be retaliatory. So, for example, you can't. Take an office worker and make the office worker a sanitation worker, but you know that is an option available. I mean, you do have to at the end of the day restore them to their position when they're done with the FMLA leave. But during it, you you know you can transfer them. Uh, that's that's an option to to reduce the burden on your operations.
1: Again, so long as there's no diminution in, in benefits or compensation. Yeah, right, that's exactly. a good point, Chris. Well, well, it's it's interesting stuff, and I will tell you the questions about FMLA and ADA and the interplay between FMLA and ADA will never end. So it's always good information to have some of these podcasts about. Maybe we'll uh, get back together uh, in the break room in a a few months and, and talk about it again as we continue to see more and more uh, opinion letters come out. I will say that another reason I wanted to talk about this is it's been very unusual for opinion letters to be released. And and for this particular one to be released at this time, obviously, the Department of Labor thought it was fairly significant. So it's fairly significant uh, for employers, I think, to know it and to understand these scheduling issues. I know it's a burden for our clients and uh, for the folks that, that have to employ people, but there are protections that are in place for the employees and failure to comply could cost you a whole lot more down the road.
0: Yes, absolutely. And so, yeah, follow them. Uh, and, and there also are, you know, like, like we've tried to mention, protections for employers, too. So, so use those where they're available.
1: Yep, and follow the guidelines and, and use the paperwork and don't deviate from the timeline that you've given because what you do for one, you have to do for all. So Chris, thank you again for taking this time today. Really appreciate uh, seeing you in the break room today and and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll have another podcast soon on a, another topic that won't be quite so stingy as this one.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate it.
1: You bet.